Hi, welcome to chapter four of the Mycenaean World section of the BGS Class Civ GCC podcast. And we're going to talk today about tombs, graves and burial. It's a topic that sounds not particularly exciting, but um, there's loads to learn. And it is really important in terms of covering a lot of the stuff that uh, is most important to our understanding of Mycenae. Um, So we're going to talk a little bit about burial customs first. Um, it will be really important that we uh, make it clear on the different types of graves. Um, and they, we've got cyst graves, we've got shaft graves, we've got tholos and chamber tombs. Um, and then we'll talk a little bit about um, funerary objects. Um, and one of the things that really um, becomes very important is that you know um, the different grave circles and what actually is found in those and what the context of those is and things like the dates. The first form of grave you need to know about is the simplest, the most basic, and the most historic, that is the cyst grave, C-I-S-T. This grave actually predates the Mycenaean age, uh, but it was continued to be used during the Mycenaean period. It is simply a grave in the form of a stone-lined pit, dug into the earth, and then covered up. So you dig a hole, line it with stones, put the body in, and um, put some earth on top of it. These pits were so small that the body actually had to be curved to put into it. Um, And they were intended for single use. Uh, Another type of grave we need to think about are shaft graves. Uh, These come slightly later, and that's at the start of the Mycenaean age. Um, We can see shaft graves in Grave Circle B. There are 14 of them there. Um, But there are also cyst graves. We get cyst graves and shaft graves in the same circles. uh, But shaft graves is a grave in which a deep shaft has dug and space has been created at the bottom for a body. These were often reused for later burials. There's a nice simple diagram of a shaft grave on page 192, that's figure 2.39. Great, Um, the other types of uh, tombs are particularly uh, impressive. Um, And around the 14th century BC, there were things called the Tholos tomb. Okay, and this is uh, a type of tomb um, which would have been uh, much uh, higher in terms of its uh, elevation. It would have um, been monumental and it would only have been really for the very important people. Um, It's a little bit like a kind of uh, a dome, effectively. Um, Technically, I think it's fair to say uh, some people would... uh, tell you the difference between the sort of dome that's on St Paul's Cathedral um, and a dome where uh, you've effectively, it's it's a little bit like a cone um, at the very top. Um, But this actually um, would have actually been dug down from the top of a hill um, and you very often you have a side chamber um, to house the body um, and you've got to get this idea of these Tholos tombs um, as being these impressive buildings um, with these massive great um, echoing uh, sort of chambers inside and then side chambers coming off um, where you could have um, buried uh, sort of left the body and there's a big long st- passageway with stone walls and um, if you go there to Mycenae uh, today um, you can still get a real sense of this massive long passageway these big stone walls going up that's going to call the dromos um, these are kind of phrases it's it's worth getting used to um, you might be asked you know what what is the, uh, the, the the passageway shown in this picture in an exam um, and you've got this decorated entrance okay um, it's a decorated entrance very different from the lion gate in a way because even though it's as impressive um, because of what's inside um, 
people would have gone in through the Lion Gate, but would not have gone into um, the uh, the treasuries or the or the Tholos um, tombs. Um, Less important Mycenaean nobles got uh, buried in chamber tombs. Um, they're a little bit like that. that you've got this long passageway, this, this dromos, um, and you've got the stones blocking the entrance, um, but they're actually just dug out of earth. So not as much effort has gone into actually making them um, and you bury several people in each. So um, the Tholos tombs much, much more for the, uh, the nobles of the city, um, for you know the Wanax or whoever else it might be, um, whereas the chamber tombs uh, less so. Now you'll notice when you see some examples of these Tholos tombs, they're very often called things like the tomb of Clytemnestra and the tomb of Aegisthus. And you might well be thinking to yourself, right, okay, I better find out who Clytemnestra and Aegisthus are because that's their tomb. Um, the actual fact is that when these were um, excavated, people knew the, the names of some really famous mythological characters um, who had supposedly lived in places like Mycenae and said, well, this is a really impressive tomb. Um, what if it was the tomb of Clytemnestra? Or what if it was the tomb of Aegisthus? And so that's then led to people going, yeah, let's call it the tomb of Clytemnestra. Um, it wasn't a time when scientific kind of... Um, uh, work was really being done and therefore you know people could just throw these names around and then it got known as that um, but we are pretty sure um, that uh, it could not possibly um, have been connected to these particular mythological figures if they ever really existed. One thing to think about uh, is the timeline of these graves um, and when they were used throughout the Mycenaean age. So we mentioned and, and also the thing to think about is if you want to add some personal uh, empathy into it, which grave would you rather have been buried in? Which was more impressive, which was more secure for you? For you? Um, so we go right back to the early, you know, we talk about the, the periods in, in Mycenae. In the early period then, we have these nice and simple cyst graves. Dead simple, dead small. Um, a development then, as we move towards the later early period, uh, sort of looking at 1400 BC is when we see uh, these shaft graves. They're a development they are deeper and can be reused and can house more bodies and the body can be laid out straight rather than curved so they are better nice then we get onto the palatial period of the Mycenaean age moving towards 1250 BC and this is when we see these tombs developing from the tumuli the chamber tombs and whatnot they are very impressive they are for high higher sort of status citizens but they are high in resources. They take a lot of manpower to build, they take a lot of material to build, and they take up a lot of space. So then we get this decline in, in sort of um, in graves. And towards the end of the Mycenaean age, so the later period, so 1250 on towards 1150 BC, we get a resurgence of cyst graves, back to those dead simple graves. Why is that the case? Perhaps they were running out of resources or space. What could have caused that? We believe in this later period, Mycenae was increasingly under attack and it was um, uh, running out of resources, running out of manpower, running out of space. So the, this timeline of graves can actually give us uh, a shadow, an example uh, uh, for the timeline of Mycenae herself. Talking of timelines, um, a lot of people uh, get understandably a little confused about the names of the grave circles. Okay? Now, a grave circle is not a circle-shaped grave. It's a circle of graves, okay? So it's an, it's an area which tends to be circular in which lots of graves have been put. 
Now, the two uh, grave circles you need to know about are grave circle A and grave circle B. Now, listen carefully to this because it is quite complex. The oldest tombs that we have are in grave circle B. Okay, um, the first uh, time that they started burying people in Mycenae, um, they put it in a grave circle, which we now call grave circle B. The reason it's called grave circle B is because it was the second one to be found. Not because it was the second one to be built, but the second one to be found. Grave circle B is some distance to the east of the city. Okay, so when they first built grave circle B, first lot of um, graves that they built, they put them quite a bit to the east of the city, largely because they wanted it not to be right next to the city through reasons like hygiene. Okay, by which I mean if you put dead bodies right next to the city, then you've got the potential of kind of um, infection. Grave circle A, which was the first one to be found, and we're talking 80 years kind of uh, earlier than grave circle B, was actually built later. Okay, so grave circle A is built later and it was built just outside the, uh, the walls next to the Lion Gate. Okay, outside the city. It was built outside the city. What really confuses people sometimes, and again, I'm going to say understandably, is that after Grave Circle A had been built and after the graves had been put in it, the walls of the city were then extended to be outside. Okay, so really careful not to say Grave Circle A was built within the city. It wasn't built within the city. It was incorporated within the city when the walls were extended out. Okay, so just a recap of that. First one to be built, Grave Circle B to the east of the city. Second one to be built, Grave Circle A just outside the city. Walls then extended outside Grave Circle A. Let's talk now about the contents of these grave circles. Um, there's a nice list you can simply read yourself on page 194 of the spectacular things found in Grave Circle A. Um, but um, you have got a number of prescribed sources to learn throughout units 2.1 to 2.4. Um, and often you're asked where these items came from and they want you to give the grave number, which is in Roman numerals, and the grave circle, which is A or B. It's worth knowing what was in B, um, and in B we have um, a nice glass vessel in a woman's grave. We have some jewellery, we have some cosmetics. However, um, the most remarkable things all come from Grave Circle A. Every single prescribed source that you have that comes from a Grave Circle, then it all come from Grave Circles, but everything that does come from a Grave Circle in comes, Mycenae. In Mycenae, yep. comes from Grave Circle A. Some of them come from Grave Circle four ivy and some of them a couple of them come from grave so grave five v in grave circle a so, so. we should, should just make that clear it's uh, grave four grave five within circle a correct yeah so um you've got the hunting the lion hunt dagger which we discussed in an earlier podcast that's from grave four in grave circle a you've got the um the fresco of the lady holding a necklace, which we discussed in an earlier podcast, that comes from Grave Circle 4. That comes from Grave 4 in Grave Circle A. Um, what about the Pixis? Well, um, before we move on to the Pixis, the last thing to come from Grave 4 and Grave okay. Circle A yeah. is, of course, the gold 
Riton in the shape of a lion's head. Now we move on to grave five in grave circle A, and that is where you can find the gold Pyxis. And, oh, of course, we've got the gold death mask of Agamemnon. It's fantastic that lots of people will know the name uh, Agamemnon because uh, he's so famous for the Iliad. Isn't it wonderful, Mr. Watkins, that we've actually found the death mask that he really wore? So you're saying that the face we can see on yeah. page 195... It's like looking into the face, Figure 2.43. Gazing on the face of Agamemnon, isn't it wonderful? Except it's not, is it? That, that is not literally what? the face of Agamemnon, nor is it even moulded on his face. Ah. Oh. So you spoiled my day, Mr. Watkins. Well, what are the arguments for it being Agamemnon? So, I mean, he's uh, a really impressive king. We know that uh, he was supposed to be king uh, in Mycenae. Uh, he's, uh, you know, it's, it's a really impressive gold death, death mask. You know, it's got to be someone impressive. Um, I mean, surely it's got to be, isn't it? It's got to be somebody impressive. And Schliemann himself, when he looked at it, is supposed to have said, I have gazed on the face of Agamemnon. However... Um, we know that this mask is dated to a, a several centuries before Agamemnon was supposed to have even existed. So right. it's actually older than Agamemnon, so, so it can't be his face. And he might not even have existed. And Agamemnon is a character from literature. He may not have existed. And um, beyond the book, uh, your textbook, there is literature that describes around the time of Schliemann's discovery of the golden uh, death mask, he happened to visit... Uh, town. He popped to town, the modern town at the time, and did visit a, uh, a goldsmith's before coming back and then finding this mask. That's not in your textbook, but it is. you can find that in your wider reading. Mm. Great. So um, we've looked at several of those things. Um, if, obviously, if you want to know more details on some of the things that were found there, um, they are in the previous um, podcast and in the other chapters of the textbook. Um, we looked at shaft graves, we looked at cess graves, we looked at tholos and chamber tombs. There is something at the start of your chapter, pages 191-191, about the actual burial customs yeah. in, My in the Mycenaean age. Um, we don't have much detail uh, about the customs, the practices. What we do know is obviously the graves themselves, and we only know really about the, pro the processes for the wealthy, because that's all we have. Um, we know that um, some kind of libation happened. What's a libation? So a libation is pouring out a drink as a sort of offering to the gods. It's a little bit like um, there's a modern day uh, idea of uh, if you have a bit of salt, you throw a bit over your left shoulder and then you pour the rest of the salt onto your meal or chinking glasses if you're kind of, uh, you know, about to do a toast or something like that. But you pour a little bit of your drink out um, to the gods. Great. Um, and and we, the evidence for libation is basically there are some drinking vessels around some of the bodies. That's all the evidence we have for that. Plus, we know that libations happened in later Greek society. Um, we have clay caskets for some bodies, but not many, uh, which suggests that some people were putting clay caskets. Lovely. They were painted. And we can see some interesting funeral processions on those of women in elaborate dress. Um, and they're wearing strange feathered caps, which is quite cool. Um, but again, this is not the typical. This is just something we have in very rare bodies. And the only other thing we can really say is that we, um, that the, we have stelae mm. um, for some of the bodies. They're significantly less ornate than the ones we, just, we studied in, um, in myth and religion. But the, the one we have on page 191, figure 2.38, is not really great support for processes of death and burial, but actually it tells us the importance of hunting and chariots. Mm. Um, we have some idea that they probably, as well as pouring out a libation, they probably also had a meal, don't we? Um, so uh, the, the obvious way of knowing that 
um, because we don't have people describing that happening is because we've got bones um, and sort of bones of animals, um, seashells and things like that. So um, they had a kind of a three course meal um, at the time of the death, uh, at the time of the burial, rather in honour of the dead. They might have had some oysters and then kind of a, you know, nice uh, chicken dinner or something like that. Great. That is Tombs, Graves and Burial. Um, and unless Mr Watkins can think of anything uh, that we've missed out, um, I think that's it. Um, we now have four more uh, sections um, which we're hoping to share with you um, on Homer and Homer's Odyssey and the characters um, within that. Um, but that's it for the Mycenaean world. Um, if you haven't already checked out um, the sections on myth and religion, if you're studying that bit for GCSE, um, do have a look. Uh, you can get hold of that um, via the Buzzsprout website, but also um, Spotify as well. Um, and hope you're enjoying it and um, hope your revision's going well um, and hope, uh, hope it all goes um, swimmingly um, in the future for you. <laughs>